Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. So before I get going today, I wanted to ask a question of our listeners. I'll soon be recording for our May to July on edits. And if you think there's someone out there who'd make a great guest, someone who's demonstrated that accelerated growth, do let me know on email or LinkedIn and hopefully we'll get them into the studio. So on the topic of accelerating careers, it brings me to say this evening I'm sat with once more another globetrotting episode and I'm talking to Tom Gaffney, CBRE Managing Director for Hong Kong. Tom's built a career over 19 years. 18 of those has been in the Asia-Pacific, including Hong Kong, mainland China, Taiwan, Macau, Singapore, and Thailand. And he's responsible for all of CBRE's business activities in Hong Kong. Now, I'm very curious to hear how those different cultures, countries have influenced and shaped his career so far. So, Tom, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity. Now I'll, now, I'll warn you now, you are, you're our first sort of advisor agent on the, on the show so far. So every agent is rooting for you and hoping, hoping you keep, uh, do them proud, mate. Oh, thank you. I feel very honoured. Thank you. So let's kick us off. Where does, where does chapter one in your career begin? Okay. Well, I, I guess chapter one starts back uh, in um, my hometown of where I was born and raised, which was Brisbane, Australia. And um, I grew up there. I'm one of uh, the youngest of five. Um, I grew up, I went to uh, obviously a, an all boys boarding school and then did university there where I studied property, property economics, which was uh, one of the favoured sort of, I guess, uh, surveying or um, property degrees back in Australia at the time. Um, and then after university, I, I I did a bunch of jobs doing sort of internships, et cetera, for what was, uh, you know, Chesterton's, uh, CBRE, funnily enough, and then uh, Colliers, of course. And then finally, towards the end of my second year, beginning of my third year, which was the final year of university, I applied for a graduate program at Jones Lang LaSalle at the time. And um, they, they had a program going called the Graduate Asia Pacific Program, where they were going to pick four graduates across Asia Pacific and it would be on a rotational basis. It was a fantastic program. So you start in your home city, and then they get rotated once more to a, another city within your host country, and then you get a posting overseas. So it was, a, a, I believe, a three- or four-year program. And so I applied for that program thinking, oh, I've got nothing to lose, um, everything to gain, given that I hadn't graduated yet, expecting the worst, that I wouldn't be able to get in. And um, fortunately, I guess... Uh, the cockiness or whatever seemed to do okay in the uh, interviews, and I managed to get a, a place, uh, one of one of four on that graduate program, and so that started back in uh, 2001 in Brisbane, and I started in the investment department under a, a guy called Jeff McIntyre, who's an absolutely fantastic boss and mentor. Time my role was really just to sort of help assist the the more senior brokers with a lot of their sales campaigns, and at that time. They'd picked up the the government portfolio, and so it was it was really interesting looking at you know sort of disposals of land and uh, parks and all all pieces of property that I never thought were actually able to be sold. So that was quite an interesting 
six months. And then after that, I got rotated to the uh, the valuations department, which was absolutely fantastic. I kind of wish I'd done that the other way around. I, I wish I'd kind of done valuations first so that I could actually understand how to value a property and appreciate um, how yields and capital values were derived before trying to then sell it. So if you know if anyone's listening out there, if you get the opportunity to to do valuations from an early age, you know I would highly recommend it. Um, and so that was fantastic. I, I did that for about another six months. But I think knowing my personality, I, I, I kind of quickly learned that you know I really liked the interaction, uh, the speed of brokerage. I think if I, I sort of looked at my personality, I, I am more of a people person. And so I, I did sort of ask uh, whether the opportunity to go back to an agency role in the uh, in the next rotation was possible. They put me in the hotels business for a short stint uh, where they needed someone to sort of assist on the hotel valuation. And that looked extremely interesting, very glamorous, doing valuations in the Maldives and stuff like that. But unfortunately, um, I was still sat behind a desk in Brisbane, not able to enjoy the, the beautiful sands of Maldives, etc., but an opportunity came up in Sydney. And so the CEO of Australia at the time, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Connery, was kind enough to uh, offer me an opportunity to to go to Sydney and work in the CBD leasing team there under a guy called uh, Mr. Andrew Balzanelli, who's just a fantastic boss and mentor at the time. And so um, there I was. Uh, I quickly was told and moved down to Sydney like within the space of a week. And I lived in Sydney for about a year, doing uh, office leasing in the uh, in the in the heart of Sydney CBD, which was just an absolutely awesome experience. Uh, the team there really dominated the market at the time, so it was it was really fantastic working on sole agency projects, you know, tenant tenant rep pro- projects, and, and and honestly, Nick, this was my first sort of exposure to leasing, and um, it was there where I really sort of developed my love for leasing and realizing that you know this is. This is the part of the career that I, I really want to take forward and I really want to uh, do for many more years. And so um, I did that for about a year and did a few deals, which was which good fun, but like only uh, the size of a broom closet. So they were all very small and most of my job was sort of assisting, again, you know, the, the more senior brokers with, with their deals and sort of collaterals, et cetera. Uh, but I, I really learned a lot. And then the opportunity came to do the overseas rotation, which was a really exciting part of the program. And so the way it worked was they had um, uh, about three or four uh, colleagues based in Hong Kong or Singapore, of which you could do a swap for one year. So you kind of swapped roles. And um, I was interviewed by a gentleman by the name of Anthony Kaus, who's now the Asia PAC uh, CEO for JLL, and a gentleman by the name of Scott Callender, who you know, it's arguably one of the best bosses and best mentors I've ever had in my career. I've been very fortunate to have fantastic mentors along my my career. But you know, Scott really was the one that sort of really nurtured me from a from an early age. So you had the choice, as I said, to go to either Singapore or Hong Kong. Uh, my mother's brother or my uncle, he he actually used to live in Hong Kong, and he used to work for the Jockey Club. So I called him and asked him, you know, which one do you think I should? Uh, I should go for Singapore or Hong Kong, and he quickly told me that if I uh, if I didn't go to Hong Kong, he'd never talk to me again. So there I was again. I had very little time to make a decision, and I sort of moved up here in the space of about literally two weeks. 
And it's been honestly the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I've never looked back, if I'm honest. And it's now been 18 or 19 years in Asia and most of that in Hong Kong. It's it's really a city that sort of captured my heart and soul. And it's an area that I, I it's a city that I probably will see the rest of my life out. But in saying that, you know, that decision was was great that it was a quick one. I didn't have a lot of time to think. And so I moved up here not knowing a single person, not a single soul. And I arrived as the uh, the graduate for this new graduate Asia-Pacific program. And I took the role of, of a colleague in the Kowloon office leasing team. And for me, it was an absolute culture shock. I was the, um, besides my boss, who is Australian, no one else in the team was Western. It was all, all local. And, you know, obviously my Cantonese was non-existent at the time, still is. And, you know, English was limited, but you had to quickly learn. And I, I think at first I was I was a little bit over my skis in the sense that, you know, I thought everyone agreed with me. You know, everyone was nodding and laughing at jokes and thinking everything was fantastic. But the reality is, is no one understood me until one gentleman pulled me aside one day and said, uh, you're going to have to lose your Aussie accent. No one can understand you. You're mumbling too much and uh, you speak too quickly. So um, I quickly had to go and sort of get elocution lessons to speak a a little bit more clearly so people could actually understand me. Um, But I did office leasing in the Kowloon office leasing team um, for what was meant to be a year. But as I as I mentioned before, Nick, you know, Hong Kong was a city that is extremely exciting. It's, you know, you've been here many times, so you, you know what it's like, but it's a, you know, it's a city that never sleeps. And so for me, it was, it, it really appealed to a lot of my senses. You know, I'm, I'm a high energy person. I'm, I love a challenge. And it, it was a city that just, you know, over the years, I feel that is a city that just keeps giving. So the more you, the more you give it, the, the more it, it, it gives back to you. And I think if I look back on my last 18 years, I'd really sort of say that it's a, it's it's given me some of the best friendships in my life. You know, obviously it's given me my wife and children and my career. Um, financially, it's been rewarding, but culturally, in terms of experience, it's just been absolutely amazing. And so I still remember the days of when we were sort of, you know, leasing um, office space out in the middle of what what is now a bustling CBD, but at the time was an industrial area. And if you look at today, we were doing deals back then where the rents back then are less than the management charges now. So it just goes to show, you know, how quickly the values of property have changed in that 18 years. And I think, you know, from memory, you know, rents were have grown in excess of something like five times in that period of time. So it's been it's been quite astronomical and seeing seeing the development out there. But I would sort of say that that's really, in essence, chapter one which was really sort of a whirlwind of going from leaving, going from Brisbane to leaving to Sydney and then uh, quickly up to Hong Kong. And, um, you know, whilst I miss my family and everyone back in Australia, I've, I've, I've really loved my time in Hong Kong and it's been fantastic from a sort of a, a personal sporting and, and, and career perspective. Oh, well, that, that brings me on quite nicely then. I, and I, th- I think you've, you've summarised it beautifully, is that I think everyone's career when they first start out always accelerates in some ways because we don't have much choice do we you know we're we're thrown in at the deep end we're often within within a, a, a peer group uh, and it's it's about us to really sort of show, show who's going to survive from that but of course there comes there comes a, a period isn't there whereby you need to consolidate you need to sort of to take on all that that knowledge and, and then you start to apply it 
And this is the point at which I think many people's careers then start to divert because people will then become quite comfortable. You know, often they'll, they'll, uh, they'll quite enjoy that period because they're suddenly then starting to apply all this knowledge and in some ways sort of you know, reaping some of the rewards. But lots of the people who I, who I talk to often find it, feel the opposite. You know, they don't feel as comfortable. They feel like they're, suddenly their learning has stopped and they go looking for, some, for something else. Does that ring true of you at this, at this stage in your career? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there were some pretty dark moments, you know, where you sort of, you, you know, it is it is a very lonely existence at the beginning. One, you're trying to, you know, learn the ropes of um, the industry. You're still young, etc. You're, you're 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 trying to understand a, a culture. You're trying to navigate language hurdles. You don't have a support network around you, so you don't have your old friends, your family, or your parents, or anything like that. So you, you, there's a lot of soul searching and a lot of growing up to do in a very short space of time. But one of the things that I really, really uh, I found uh, helpful is, uh, you know, I've never been shy to sort of ask questions or ask for help. And I think along the way, you do find, you know, there's a lot of people that are willing to step up and help you, and they're the ones that you'll take care of for the rest of your for your life. And there's the ones that don't, and they're the ones that you unfortunately you you put to the side and, and move on. Um, where I have been sort of fortunate, certainly in the early years of my career, was I was able to uh, latch on to, of what is still today, some of the best people I've been mentored by. And I, I still to this day go to these guys uh, for guidance and support or counsel, you know, when I, when I run into a problem. And I think it's extremely important in those early years to, to find a mentor or find someone that you can you can speak openly about, whether that's within your company or external, it doesn't matter. But just someone that you can be open and be yourself around, and really share where your challenges are, you know, and, and lay out some options. You know, don't waste their time sort of saying, "Well, what would you do?" You got to go to them with solutions and say, "Which one would you pick if you were me, A, B, or C?" And um, I think you quickly realise that you there's a lot more people out there who want to see you do well in those early years. It certainly changes as your career develops, but um, I think in those early years, if people see that you're working hard, you've got a good attitude, you know, you're enjoying what you're doing and you've got a thirst for learning, I think people are, are more than willing to help. And, uh, you know, I can still recall early days at JLL where, you know, every broker only ever tells you about their good years. It's a bit like gambling. But the reality is, is, you know, everyone goes through rough years. And I still remember going through a couple of rough years and uh, I was expecting to be to get tinned. But um, I was fortunate enough to get the support of a couple of local guys who really sort of saw the effort and and, and where I was going or trying to um, build market share. And they got right behind it. And as a result, we built this sort of little team together within a team. And in the end, we sort of did quite well of, you know, dominating certain parts of the Kowloon East market where an area where not many people were venturing. And as a result, you know, we formulated some lifelong friendships through that. And I really think that that was one of the sort of defining moments where, you know, you sort of feel like you're down and you're on your bum and there's not really any way out. But, you know, as soon as you sort of turn to help, they're there and willing to help you. And I think that's a, a really important thing to do, especially in your early parts of your career, is to, is to, is to do ask for that help. So what comes what comes next then? Because I think we've, we're I think we're coming up now to how many years at Jones Lang? Uh, so that, that that was only sort of like in the first couple. Um, yeah. So it, it, yeah. Then I would say you know after that I was I sort of 
I guess the next phase of the career was really I still was at JLL doing um, uh, the office leasing. I was fortunate that, you know, I had a couple of good years back to back to back and, you know, I was promoted quite quickly through the ranks um, from sort of manager, senior manager and then uh, associate director in, in in my sort of mid twenties, and so that was that was exciting times, um, and I was having a lot of fun and building some some great uh, client base and great friendships, etc., both internally and uh, and externally. But I was, uh, you know, maybe it was uh, egotistical of me at the time. I'm not sure, but I was always very interested to see what it was like on the other side, and so I, I did make the the switch and I jumped to you know. The, the landlord side or the buy side, I was very interested to understand more about sort of uh, asset management, portfolio asset management. And I joined a company called Hong Kong Land, who are one of the sort of oldest and largest sort of um, conglomerates here in, in in Asia, or I should say Hong Kong, um, where they control sort of in excess of 5 million square feet here in central Hong Kong. And so I moved across there and that, that role was fantastic. And this is where, I, you know, again, my my learning curve was almost vertical. Uh, again, sort of learning another aspect of the business um, and looking at it from the other side of the fence rather than I've always been on the on the service provider, you know, looking on the other side of how landlords would do things. They do things very methodically. They're not as reactionary as agency is and they think about what decisions they're going to make not only now but three years, five years down the track. So it's a lot more strategic. So in terms of you know, if you're a strategic kind of person or someone that likes to flex that muscle, that that's sort of an angle that may be quite interesting in terms of a career choice. Things don't move as quickly as you can see. And as a result, you know, I did find that at times a little bit frustrating. And I think I frustrated a lot of people along the way as well. But, you know, one of the things I really appreciated about Hong Kong land was, you know, their ability to sort of take the time to teach you very, very thoroughly about, you know, how to value a portfolio, how, what deals you can get done at and how that's going to affect the overall outcome of the value of of that asset and then the wider portfolio. So you really have to think a lot, not just about doing a deal, but what the wider implications are. I spent a year or so, or I should say a couple of months, sorry, in Hong Kong to learn the portfolio. I was then quickly um, moved to Singapore, where I worked for a gentleman called uh, Rob Garman, who who took me under his wing, and he it was a fantastic learning curve where he exposed me to uh, pretty much all of Southeast Asia's uh, assets that they owned. So they owned assets in Singapore, Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, and at that time they were looking at venturing into Cambodia, but it hadn't been done yet. But it has since been done since I've since I've moved on. But um, th- this role was fantastic. It was a regional asset management role, and you know you're working in with all the country general managers on their portfolios. And but you know I did that for about a year uh, living in Singapore. But you know that was my first exposure to sort of travel as well. So I was I was literally on a jet, you know, in a different city or a different country, one or two countries every week. And, you know, that was very exciting as a sort of a, as a young guy, you know, getting around, seeing all these different markets, learning different cultures and seeing how real estate is dealt with in different ways. And, you know, we were very lucky that we had at the time fantastic people running each of those countries for Hong Kong land. So a lot of them ended up becoming quite close friends. I think that the pivotal moment was sitting in Rob's office one day and him asking me, what do you think about Thailand? And, um, you know, I went on saying, look, I love the food. The people are fantastic. I really love getting down there. And he's like, no, what would you think about working there? 
And so again, another a moment where I didn't have a lot of time to think, but within you know a couple of days I was packed up and moved to Thailand, of which I sort of I lived there for the next two years. And 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 for me, this was probably one of the most exciting, exhilarating parts of my career. Is I was sent down there to essentially become the 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 country head for Hong Kong Land and the general manager of um, three companies that they had down there. They had an asset management company, an investment arm, and another one that was sort of like used as a development company, but wasn't really active at the time. And it was a joint venture between uh, Hong Kong Land and a local family called the Srivacorn family, who are extremely lovely family. Um, and they own some very uh, prominent real estate in the in the core heart of Bangkok. And so what, what was originally meant to be a you know, a three to six month posting ended up becoming uh, a two year stint. But, you know, in terms of what I learned there was about, you know, not only the asset management side of things, but I learned how to, to run a business, how to run a PL. And that was my first real taste at managing people as well. And so at the time, I was, I, uh, I'd only ever managed pretty small teams up until that point, but I had been thrust to manage a team of just under 80 people, of which all were women, which was um, which was very unusual to me. But you know, in Thailand, a lot of the you know the corporates or the companies there is 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 filled with very um, you know fantastic, high energy, smart, hardworking ladies, and so uh, it was it was just the best learning curve. And in terms of um, the people, the people were fantastic. But, you know, coming back to what your question was earlier, Nick, you know, that that's probably where I, I struggled the most in terms of having people to turn to. And I think, you know, as a leader, you quickly learn that as a lead, in a leadership role, it's a very lonely, a lonely place. And as, um, you know, you can't show weakness too much and there aren't too many people that you can turn to and, and say, look, you know, how do you do this within the firm without them sort of start questioning, well, then why are you the boss? And so at that time, I, I you know, I was sort of reaching out to a lot of my leadership around the gentleman that sort of ran the commercial business there, a guy called Ray Chow, who's still a very dear friend and a dear client of ours, was, was always there every step of the way, both personally and professionally. And, uh, you know, at that time in 2000 and uh, back end of 2006 and early 2007, there was some, you know, political tension going on in Thailand at the time and sort of tanks were rolling out on the street and all sorts of stuff. But I still remember getting calls pretty much every day from Rob and, and Ray just, you know, checking in to see how you are. Um, they weren't they weren't worried about the asset. They're more worried about you. And I, I think that was something that I really learned as a leader at the time is like, you know, to really look out for people and really uh, make sure that you're you're asking about them first before you start talking about business. And I think it was a really important lesson learned at that time. Whilst we're on the t- on the topic of lessons, there's, there's something that I've, I've been wanting to ask. We spent what about sort of ten years of your career so far? Less? Um, f- five, six, yep. five, five. Okay, well, even, this is all the more impressive. Then. So, in five or six six years, we've we've seen you go to Australia, to Hong Kong, to Singapore, to Thailand. Now, I think probably you know, given sort of the the let's say sort of about sixty or seventy percent of our listeners are are from the UK they won't be as familiar with those differences in terms of career across so many countries, certainly so quickly. What do you think 
were the challenges of being transitioning from from those countries and what what did you learn in particular with regards to your career how how has that really shaped that early part of your career it's a good question nick and I, and you may look at it as though um you know selfishly that i sort of did put my career first certainly in those early years and you know that's not always easy for everyone given personal circumstances but i was fortunate enough to have a very supportive girlfriend or now wife who really understood that and unfortunately, Nick, I don't really know the word no too well. And so when an opportunity was presented to me and I thought if it made sense, I, I went for it. And I'm, I'm also quite intrigued by different cultures. And so I think, you know, each time that I, uh, you know, probably the biggest eye-opener was obviously going from Brisbane and, and Sydney to Hong Kong. That was really like the biggest sort of culture shock for me. And then and then again, from Hong Kong to Singapore, that was a little that was a little easier. But then, you know, Singapore to Thailand uh, was, a bit, it was a bit more of a culture shock. But each step along the way, I learned different nuances about, you know, whether it's the people, the way business is done, to be respectful of local cultures and the way things are done. And as a result, I think that sort of shaped me quite well in terms of managing different types of personalities. And along the way, you know, there's bumps along the way and you know, you've got to act a bit like a chameleon, I guess, in certain in certain circumstances. But I think if you've got the drive to get ahead and the drive to um, to learn, then you should really never turn a, a good opportunity down and I think that I've seen so many careers certainly here in Asia where there's really good opportunities put in front of people and they and they turn their nose up to it thinking well I don't want to move to that location because you know I might miss out on the next you know promotion here but the reality is of careers careers aren't linear and I really think that sometimes you need to go sideways to go up you know and I think having that experience having gone overseas you know, and done different postings across different jurisdictions in a short period of time that I think probably did give me a lot of experience that maybe others didn't have, which has sort of put me in, in a good position for later years to be considered for more senior roles. But that being said, you know, there are drawbacks. A, you sort of never really settled in one location. You know, you make good friends, but, you know, the next thing you're off and you're leaving, you kind of feel like you're leaving them all behind. You know, I was fortunate that I had a very understanding partner, but that doesn't always necessarily work for for everyone. And so as a result, some people do decide to sort of put those opportunities to the put to the side and stick to our status quo. So Tom, tell us then what happens next in terms of the next phase of your career. Yeah. So Nick, well, I mean, one of the things that I did, I did realize is, look, obviously, you know, I did get brought back to Hong Kong. I got married, you know, I was running the retail portfolio along with a couple of other colleagues here in Hong Kong with Hong Kong land. And that was fantastic. And I, I kind of realized that retail was a passion for me. I really, really enjoyed it. And then came the tap on the door from JLL uh, to come back and run their retail business. And, you know, uh, Gavin Morgan, who's, who's been a great friend and mentor and also, um, and, and boss at the time with KK Fung asked me to come back to run the retail business in Hong Kong. And, you know, I did miss that part of my life, the energy, the banter, the camaraderie. Um, and if anyone's ever bit worked in an agency field, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I came back to run the, the Hong Kong retail business. And, you know, we were very fortunate that we sort of, we got on on the tail of a, of a good uh, run for a couple of years where we had the market behind us to sort of build up a, a fantastic team. And, you know, um, besides Savills at the time, we really didn't have a lot of competition. I think we took took a lot of market share and we did some fantastic hiring, won a lot of tenant rep appointments. And so, you know, it was, it was great fun. 
and I, I built what was, I think, a really fun and solid team of around 22 people, both men and women of all different backgrounds, all different uh, ages and experience. And that was just the most rewarding feeling to come back and to be able to sort of really make a big impact in the market in a short space of time. Um, my career then did evolve a bit more at uh, JLL where I, I did take up a role as head of retail for Greater China. And then, you know, towards the sort of the, the latter years was to sort of take up a more regional mandate where I was overseeing sort of Asia PAC. And I also sat on the uh, the global board for retail at JLO. And it was just fantastic in terms of getting that, you know, regional uh, exposure as well as, you know, dealing with your colleagues across China and helping retailers sort of deploy their stores across China with my colleagues in, in um, the various cities. And so, you know, working through the nuances of different cultures, et cetera, from my previous career, I think really helped when it when it came to doing this. But um, that, that was, you know, five amazing years. And again, you know, I was very lucky that I had the support of great leaders around me and, you know, people like Gavin and, you know, KK Fong and, you know, Anthony Kaus, they were there all along the way. And, you know, Alistair Hughes to sort of support me through that journey and uh, nurture me and sort of, and, and hopefully what I would think is, shaped me into be a good leader. But then came the, uh, the, the the pivotal point, I guess, in sort of late 2015, where, you know, I was offered the role to uh, become the managing director uh, for CBRE. And look, you know, I'd always had the ambitions that one day I would like to lead a, a major business in, in Hong Kong and be the managing director. And, you know, I always thought that my whole life that that would be hopefully one day at JLL. But this opportunity came, you know, and I was, I was still relatively young at the time. I think I was only 35 at the time uh, when I took up that post. And, you know, I still remember sitting there with uh, Ben Duncan when he, my, my, my now boss um, at CBRE, where he offered me that role. And I remember going, when he offered me, you know, come over to be the managing director of, of CBRE, I went on this sort of 10-minute rant about, I thought he was talking about retail. And I was talking about, you know, how amazing JLL was at retail. And when he stopped me after 10 minutes and sort of saying, hey, Tom, I'm not talking about retail. That is one component, but I'm talking about running the entire business. You know, I really wish there was sort of a black hole underneath the table of which I could have just jumped into and and it was extremely embarrassing. But um, I sort of, can we please start again? So, you know, to be offered that opportunity at that time was a lot earlier than I ever expected it to be. But, um, you know, I did, I did say yes and I took up the challenge and I started in, um, you know, in March 2016. And I, I took over CBRE Hong Kong and had Taiwan and Macau reporting into me as well. And it was a very daunting task because, you know, at the time I'd really only sort of run relatively small teams. But then to walk into running an entire business, 24 business lines and in excess of about 1,100 people was a very daunting task. And, you know, I didn't really know that many people at CBRE. I knew a few people from back in my JLL days that had jumped over over the years. But, you know, I honestly didn't know that many people and I'd only heard a lot of different stories. So to come in and face this enormous beast of a company was extremely daunting. But again, you know, I was very, very fortunate that I had fantastic people around me like Ben, my current boss. You know, we had leadership in the US who were constantly checking in on me, uh, people from around the region making you feel extremely welcome and at home. And then, of course, you know, 
I really reached out to the old mentors, the ones that helped me in the career in my early days when I was sort of in my darkest hours of like, you know, despair of not knowing what to do. They were always the ones that, you know, I could turn to in my career. And again, I was, I was very thankful for those early days. So, you know, Nick, I, I guess, you know, in a nutshell, like my, my role in the last five years has been to be the managing director of, of Hong Kong in that in that five years, my role has evolved. I've 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 taken I'm as I said head of Hong Kong. I'm also on the um, the Greater China Executive Committee, so an over, overseeing uh, Greater China along with the other sort of five members of that of that exec, executive committee. Up until recently, before we disbanded it, the uh, North Asia Leadership Committee as well. And so it's been fantastic, amazing five years. And one of the things that we've worked really really hard on is the culture at CBRE. I wouldn't say it was perfect. It wasn't, it was still good, but I, I wouldn't say it was world-class. And so we've we've really worked on building a world-class culture, uh, one that's built on transparency, honesty, trust, and collaboration. And if I look across the business now, there isn't sort of one person that doesn't exude those qualities. And so, you know, we've had to make some really tough calls in the last five years, moving people on or changing leadership roles or people swapping them out of uh, different businesses. And But it's it's worked for the better. Well, let me just take a quick a, a quick moment. I'm just a, I'm a, I'm in danger here of sort of um, glossing over that move then from Jones Lang to CBRE because you, you mentioned your age, your, your sort of mid-30s. And then suddenly you're you're parachuted right to the very very top of this of this CBRE business of running. I think you said eleven hundred people. Correct. Yeah. Why you? Why, what do you think those guys saw saw in you then that gave them the confidence that you you could take that on? Good question, Nick. I still ask myself that good question every day. Um, oh, look, I, I I really I think it just goes back to look. Um, I think I had an okay reputation in the market. I had, I think, an ability to be able to sort of build teams over the years. I do think that, you know, having that ability to work across different geographies had put me in good stead in terms of working with different cultures, uh, different uh, levels of hierarchy, et cetera. And so as a result, I think they probably picked me for those reasons, I think I think the other reason was is that you know I've made it very clear from an early stage is that you know Hong Kong is my home, and I think they wanted to pick someone that they can mould and shape and grow with the business. And whilst you know I'm I'm a Westerner or what they call a Guelo here in Hong Kong, you know after sort of what would that have been? That would have been sort of 13 years in Hong Kong. I guess I'm considered local to some extent. And what they really wanted to do when I got brought on was, you know, they're like, Tom, we really want you to to grow this business. We need to be number one in this market. We want you to change the culture. And here are the keys to the car. You drive it. And it, it was an amazing opportunity to be able to be faced with this mammoth task, but at the same time to be given this enormous amount of autonomy to kind of do what you want with what is considered, you know, the world's biggest um, real estate service provider in the world. And, you know, Hong Kong is considered one of their top markets globally. And so I was just very blessed to be given this amount of uh, autonomy and support to be able to go and do that. But look, there isn't a day that went by in those early days where I wasn't um, crapping my pants, Nick, <laughs> and making a decision sort of... Well, I should I warn you, it was, it was a bit of a sucker punch because I know what they were thinking because I've asked them. 
Um, <laughs> let me let me let me let me tell you. Let me tell you. So their their first impressions of this uh, of, of Tom was um, he was values driven, very authentic, and a real people person. He came with this great reputation that everybody had a good word to say about him, and that is really rare. So. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about, about that reputation because you mentioned reputation. So you must have, been, must have been aware of it. But I think you described it as an okay reputation. They described it as a great reputation. What, a, what had you done or what lessons could someone else listening to this who's, who's maybe in an earlier phase of their career, who's now starting to come to the front? How, how have you garnered that, that reputation whereby everybody is saying a good word about Tom? Oh, that's, that's very kind of you to say, Nick. I... Um... Look, I genuinely think it, it's it's important that you make people feel important, whether it's clients or colleagues, and um, to leave no stone unturned. If I'm honest, Nick, I probably tried to always emulate what my father was like. My father was a pathologist who ran his own firm, and I remember as a young boy, I'd walk into you know his company, and you know he'd speak to the same person who was the most junior person on the floor as he would to his fellow managing partners of of that firm. He'd treat them in the same level of respect, and that's something that I think I've, I've I've tried to emulate into my own industry. Obviously, I don't have the same intellect as my father, as a as a doctor, but um, I, I felt like you know maybe I can at least bridge some level of sort of comparison as to what what he did. And I, I think you know when I, when I was working in the trenches or whatever, I never wanted to sort of finish a job without the client feeling you know completely satisfied or. You know, I never liked the feeling of, you know, working with colleagues where you felt like you were getting one up and they weren't, you know, getting a fair share of the fee split or something like that. So, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the nature, you know, I went to boarding school from a young age. I went to boarding school from the age of eight all the way through. And I think, you know, you learn a lot in boarding school of having to deal with different personalities and people around you. And you kind of have to kind of keep people happy at all times because, you know, you constantly... Um, you're surrounded by people of all different ages. And I, so I don't know. I don't know if that was what sort of shaped me, but I know that it's something that drives me. I do care about reputation, whether that's me, um, our people or our firm. So I, you know, and I am a man of principle. So it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, that does drive me, Nick. And um, I, I try and uh, get my people to, to do the same thing. Well, it's, in, it's interesting you mentioned about sort of, picking up on other people's sort of feelings and consider it because this came up as well when I was I was doing some background now another contact said and I asked I asked them about the about the, the Tom Gaffney reputation um uh and he thought it had had something to do with what he described you have a super high EQ and that you read people very very well sometimes you pick up on things that others are not aware of maybe they are you know they're you're picking up on signs that they haven't yet sort of clicked uh, and put things together now that's obviously that's obviously a really interesting sort of trait that we could sort of chat about sort of how how you sort of learned that and how we can apply that but i won't go down that avenue now i wanted to ask you on the flip side of that given that sort of hypersensitivity then to, to others this we've can, we've obviously seen how that's benefited your career have there any times when that's backfired? Is there any times where where that's really sort of uh, rocked the apple cart? Yeah, Nick, it has. And look, you know, I would say it's it's probably a strength of mine, but if I'm honest, it's my weakness as well. 
you know, if I, if I can sort of do this question in a bit of an evolution, but if you look at the last 20 months in Hong Kong, it's been the worst I've ever experienced. And for many people, the worst ever. We've had the social unrest, we've had, you know, trade wars, and then we've had COVID. So, you know, we've had to make decisions here, which have been extremely hard. We've had to restructure businesses, we've had to let good people go. And, and so as a result, you know, that, that hits home and hurts. But if I look at the business that we've got now and the people that we've got, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I wake up every day and I come to work with my mates. You know, I get to work with people that I really like, trust and respect. And so going back to your original question, you know, it's a, it's a strength, but it's my Achilles heel as well. Because I do care about people so much. Sometimes I'm considered probably too nice. And, you know, I, I probably do need to make people a little bit comfortable around things. And it's something that, you know, honestly, it's something that I'm working really hard on and trying to improve on. But... My view is, is that when you run a, a service provider business, an agency business, you know, you've got a number on your head every year and our guys are all busting a gut, working as hard as they can to try and, uh, you know, hit those numbers or exceed it. They already get so much pressure from clients in the market already or competitors. You know, the last thing they really need is a boss screaming at them as well. And so I've taken the view that, you know, I'd rather be a supportive leader and one that sort of builds empathy as well as a support network, as well as good leadership around them and myself, than be one that sort of um, dictates and sort of shouts from the top. So, but, you know, to answer your question, Nick, yeah, it's a strength and a weakness, unfortunately. So, Tom, back on then the CBRE days, you mentioned about sort of culture previously. So I am curious, what have been some of your proudest changes you've introduced that have had that have had that knock-on effect to culture. I, I think the, the the proudest moments that I've had is you know I, I think we really have changed the culture here and um, you know as I said those those key attributes of trust, um, uh, collaboration, honesty has really sort of shone through and it's something that we've hammered home from day one and I really think that that is clear and evident in the in the team and the people that we've got now. The other thing that I think I'm really proud of is that you know we've put together this uh, executive committee here in Hong Kong and I look around at my ex-co of six people and they are just world-class absolutely fantastic people to work with and the other thing that I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of is that you know Five years ago, or four years ago, I should say, I made a pledge that over 50% of my board will be will be female, will be 50% female. No one believed me at the time, and they asked me to sign up to pledge to 25 to 30%, but I, I was stubborn and said, no, I'm going to get to 50. And uh, we managed to achieve that last year. And, you know, I think for the most part, if, I, if I'm not wrong, we are the only real estate firm that has over 50% of their board as 50%. And um, I think it's a great thing for recruitment, it's a great thing for our clients, a great thing for the industry. And it, more than anything, it's it's a testament to the direction in which CBRE is going, which is all about sort of diversity, equality. And that, that they're some of the things that I'm really proud of. I guess the other thing I'm, I'm probably proud of, Nick, is, is the performance of the business. Um, you know, you know, I took over from a, from a great guy, extremely popular leader, and, you know, they're coming off the back of a record year. And so I, th- I thought there's no chance of us ever being able to, to, to get better. But we've managed to do it, you know, tweak it and whatever. And I think we've grown the business now in excess of uh, close to five times in that period of time. And we've done that through a series of, you know, measures. But mostly we've been being able to do that by capturing good market share, having our people focus a bit better, but also making terrific hires. You know, I think we've hired really, really well in the last sort of three, three to four years. 
And so if I look back at the last five years and CBRE, I've, I'm very proud of what myself and the team have done. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I wouldn't have done it without the, the great support of the people around me, like, you know, Ben and, you know, Bob and Danny in the US and, of course, all the sort of the, you know, the regional leaders that we have around the place at CBRE. So, you know, we're fortunate that we've built a culture of friendship and trust. And as a result, we've, we've been able to go on and do good things. Well, Tom, there's no doubt everyone listening to this, no matter what industry, sort of geography, you know, where where they're sitting right now, can't help by being sort of inspired by what you've achieved so far. And in some ways, sort of all the ancillary details there to how you've benefited others' careers and sort of the, the diversity agenda as well, mate. So thank you so much for sharing all that. I've really enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much, Nick. And I really appreciate the opportunity. And I um, look, I hope it... Uh, it- it helps anyone with their, their, their careers. And um, I, I sincerely wish everyone listening a, uh, a happy and prosperous sort of 2021 and, and for many years to come. Thank you very much. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast. And we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.